Bedtime Story Following the River Thames by Phoebe Smith There is something very special about following a river. The way it forces you to go at its own speed and in its own direction, sometimes weaving in a huge arc rather than taking the most direct path. It meanders. It takes its time. No matter whether you walk alongside it, swim in its rivers, or take to the surface on a kayak, canoe, or stand-up paddleboard, you are disconnecting from the frantic pace of everyday life and reconnecting with nature's timetable, soothing your senses and calming your mind. I'm Niall Horan, and on behalf of Jim Plus Coffee, I'm here to help you retune with the natural world on World Mental Health Day. I'll be guiding you on a journey along the River Thames, from its source to the sea. So snuggle down, take a slow, soothing, deep breath. Close your eyes, and I'll begin. We start in the tiny hamlet of Kemble, in a peaceful meadow in the county of Gloucestershire. Here, a simple marker stone states that this is Thames Head, the beginning of England's longest river. It's this channel of water that we will follow together as it begins its long journey towards the sea, inching its way ever east. As we begin, the sun is breaking through the early morning mist, signalling the start of a brand new day. The cheerful call of the house sparrow, song thrush and chiff chaff sing out the dawn chorus in a harmonious melody. At our feet, the dew on the grass collects in large, friendly droplets and slowly drips down to the soil, providing this place with life-affirming water. All is still. The air is filled only with a natural and serene soundscape. Listening carefully, you can hear your own breath as you survey the scene. You take it all in as you inhale deeply and exhale slowly. Even at this early stage of our journey, amid the limestone hills of the Cotswolds, the river is already teaching us to slow down and to drink in every part of the voyage ahead. We will go with its flow, floating along sedately as if in a dream. At first we are in the countryside, where the grass is moved gently by the wind. It's so soft we can feel it lightly caressing our face. We wind through Cotswold Water Park, where 140 lakes pockmark the landscape, sparkling as though precious jewels in the early pink light of sunrise. Butterflies flutter delicately in the air as we trickle towards the first community on the river, Cricklade. 
This Wiltshire town is filled with buildings from as far back as the 13th century. Yet as impressive as the man-made is, standing for many hundreds of years, the river that flows alongside it, our river, is much older still. We begin to curve north, slowly toward Lechlade on Thames, a market town on the border of the Cotswolds, where boaters navigate through locks watched over by the ancient spire on St. Lawrence's Church. This is also the place where we see the statue of Old Father Thames, the creator who sits overlooking his great waterway. As we pass by, the sound of a swan's feathered wings moving up and down through the air assures us of their comforting presence. Together we watch as these most graceful of birds skim the water with their feet. They take their time to come to a perfect, long and slow glide, landing seemingly effortlessly alongside kayakers who dip their paddles into the water. They are, as we are, all languishing in the meditative quality that moving water can inspire. We float alongside more countryside, passing weirs, welcoming tributaries into this widening waterway and drifting beneath the strong stone bridges that span it. At Newbridge, the trees' leafy garlands festoon the edge of the river, draping their green finery like a curtain on its banks. People sit on the grass and watch the water move slowly by, while above, thick, white clouds also drift amid the blue. From the small settlement, the river is headed to the city of dreaming spires, Oxford. But instead of taking what appears to be the most direct route, it instead does what rivers do best. It meanders in no particular hurry, cleaving its way northward in a great sweeping bow. Its route means it funnels through the banks shrouded with tall trees, past myriad meadowland filled with flowers, all the while chicaning in a serpent-like swirl as it slowly takes us into the outskirts of the home of royalty and scholars. Here the view of the trees becomes peppered with houses, little by little, until buildings outnumbered nature's own structures and eventually we reach the rose-coloured gothic spires of one of England's oldest cities. Amid the ornate stone landmarks of Christchurch Cathedral, Magdalen College, Bodleian Library and the eight-sided cupola of the Sheldonian Theatre, all of which unite to create the classic Oxfordshire skyline. The Thames silently flows by. It is older than any man-made structure, having seen this urban centre develop from nothing at all. As Oxford, like many cities, has evolved and continues to change over time, it is somehow comforting to think that the river, our river, will keep flowing, unconcerned, on its never-ending journey towards the sea. Wooden punts make their way on its surface now, sliding along with each dip of the long pole, masterfully handled by its punter. Alongside are lines of hedgerows, home to birds including skylarks and yellowhammer, and river-dwelling animals, otters 
and water voles. Islands dot the water, where one in particular is swathed by willows, once used for weaving baskets and crafting carts, making use of nature's bounty. Wildflowers peep out from the long grass, the blooms of cuckoo flower visited by orange-tipped butterfly, who flutter mindfully and gracefully from one blossom to another. As our river moves out of the cityscape, spilling drop by drop towards its final goal, it is united with other waterways who trickle into it in braids. This time it's the River Ock, which has made its own journey from the Vale of the White Horse, so called for the giant Bronze Age horse, drawn by our ancestors into the hillside using the naturally occurring upland chalk. With each watery addition, the determined Thames gathers strength to keep it moving, and we follow it to see it turn east now, towards the ancient abbey town of Abingdon. Now the river bends south, and then east once more, and as it does, the terrain begins to undulate in a series of peaks and troughs. These are the ripples of the Chiltern Hills, a cluster of chalk, clay and grassland that crinkles and folds as though moulded by a wise and learned potter. Sprinkled amid the contours are the villages of Dorchester and Wallingford. We watch the water here, edged by reeds and sedge beds. A flash of blue, shining and true, tells us that the kingfisher are here with us. While they appear and disappear into the foliage, like some kind of elaborate magic trick, above us the orange and cream feathers on the wings of red kites float on the thermals as they move in concentric circles, surveying our scene from a truly unique perspective. As the river banks get steeper, we enter the ancient settlements of Goring and Streetly. These twin Victorian villages share the river, though one is in the county of Oxfordshire and the other in Berkshire. One sits on the edge of the Chilterns, the other on the North Wessex Downs. The river unifies them, flowing through what is known as the Goring Gap. We drift onwards, spilling out towards Pangbourne, the place that inspired the stories in Kenneth Graham's The Wind and the Willows, a world he created where animals can talk and have journeys on the river just like us. We edge alongside the hills, now heading slightly north to curve through the city of Reading, weave alongside Henley, where each year the river is filled with boats at the annual regatta, and finally, through Marlow. Here we bear southeast once more, passing the eights that dot the waterway between here and Maidenhead. Our companion is the forest, that offers shade under the canopy of oak, sycamore, and beech trees. Beyond the arches of the market town is Royal Windsor, where the majestic castle sits and watches over us as we lazily glide by.
We still have a way to go, but there is no rush. Instead, we take our cue from the ripples on the water surface and allow the pace to be set for us. One that is slow, unhurried, and gradual. We do not need to go quickly, as we know that we will, like the river we're following, get where we need to be. Passing by Runnymede, we spy the oldest tree by the water, and this is the signal, the natural marker, that Greater London is within reach. But despite the urban beginning to make its appearance once more, we do not need to be caught up in its energy. For our river will guide us safely through it and beyond. We begin to see settlements alongside Chertsey, Shepperton, and Teddington. And it is here that the slow, measured river now becomes a tidal waterway. Navigating into the capital city of London, the sun begins to set. The sky is filled with muted colours of orange, purple and red. Lights on the buildings that line our channel, one by one, begin to glow. Dusk is upon us now, and while we can see the people moving around in the urban panorama, we ourselves remain separate from it. We acknowledge their pace, but we are observers only, not part of that rushed world. Instead, we continue on as we have since the beginning, faithfully following our wise river. Gently, gradually, and now pulled only by the tide. Soon the half-light has turned to night itself, and the darkness of the sky looks inky black against the luminosity of the metropolis. We drift on, passing the welcoming arms of Tower Bridge. We move slowly, mesmerised by the circular lights of the London Eye. And we gaze at the many shapes and curves of Canary Wharf's architectural wonders, each one appearing as an afterglow as we steadily make our way ever onwards. It's here where the swirls and bends of the river create an arching pathway towards the sea. Even though our destination is close now, we do not change our pace. We remain on course. We flow through the Thames barriers where our final section begins. From such small beginnings, this thread-like watercourse has now become a wide river. Above us, the moon is rising. Its white beam now providing us with a comforting shimmer, lighting our way forwards, onwards. Its beauty hides its strength, 
one that is mighty enough to pull the tides. As we move, stars are our constant friends, and we lie back and watch them overhead. The land either side of us appears as an elaborate tapestry, a mosaic of marsh, beach, and sand. It is ever-changing as the water ebbs and flows around it, sculpting it, shaping it, and creating something new every single time. The land will not resist. It will move with the water in perfect unison. And then it's here, upon us, the endless sea. To some, reaching this point after journeying all this way from the river source may seem like something of an ending. It is, after all, where we've been headed all this time. But the sea is just the beginning, for here the river doesn't truly disappear. Rather, it simply merges with the very water that has flowed from its source before. It rejoins its own past to become something even bigger. And in this way, from the Cotswolds and the small, unassuming headwaters in a quiet Gloucestershire meadow, through the city of dreaming spires, beneath the chalk hillsides of the children's, and alongside the twinkling lights the city of London. This waterway is boundless, immeasurably beautiful, and truly and completely infinite.